take a take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians, please. Philippians, please. Philippians chapter one, and we're turning back to verse eighteen to verse twenty-six. We began studying there last week under the title "Finding Joy in Chains." Finding joy in chains, and we're going to think about that title again as we come to the book of Philippians. And again, verse eighteen. Of course, Paul is speaking here. And he's ready to the church in Philippi, who sent a messenger to him. They're concerned. Paul is in prison. He's in death row. And now we're coming to these verses again. Philippians 1 and the verse 18. And this is the word of the Lord. Reads there, What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is he, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I what not. For I am in a, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all, for your fervence and joy of being, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. And trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts. Let's bow before him as we have an open Bible on our laps. Let us pray. Our Father, as we bow before you just now, we thank you that already we have now opened your word and we have heard from it. We thank you, Father, that your word speaks into each of our lives. We thank you, Father, that it is relevant, even today, it's forever up to date. We thank you, Father, that this book before us is a living book. And Father, we thank you that the Spirit of God to aids us in our understanding for those of us who are trusting in Christ dwells in each one of us. Father, as we come to you just now and as we consider your work, Father, I pray for your help. For Father, my words will be nothing. And will help nobody here. So Father, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. I pray, pray, Father, that your voice will speak in a mighty way in this place just now. Father, I pray that for each of us as we listen to your word to our hearts this afternoon, that, Father, you'll help us to apply it to our lives. And that, Father, you would help this book, us to make this book live in us. Bless us, we pray, as we come to your word. Speak to us in a mighty way. Charge the atmosphere with your presence. And do us good, we pray. 
We pray this in the sea of your name. Amen. We're coming to the study again, finding joy in chains. And you'll remember last Lord's Day as we began these verses, we took time to study verses 19 and 20 in detail. And there Paul is in his chains, and yet his mantra, his theme, is simply this. Christ shall be magnified in my body. And we see that word magnified. What does it mean? It means to be great. And Paul's expressed purpose in his life was to magnify and make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must ask the question, does the Lord Jesus need to be magnified? Well, what do we mean by that? Well, when Paul says that he wants Christ to be magnified in his body, what does he mean? After all, how can a mere human, how can a mere human being magnify God, who is so much more, so much greater than them? Well, if you think of the stars for a moment, the stars are much bigger than the telescope, and yet the telescope magnifies them and brings them closer. And when the world looks at Christ, he seems far away, just like a star would be to you and I in the night sky. To, to the average person, Christ is a misty figure who lived centuries ago. That's why you and I must be God's telescopes and magnify the Savior and bring him closer. Now, if the telescope brings distance that, that things in the distance closer, then a microscope makes tiny things bigger. And to the world beyond our church door, in the church post-church age, the Lord Jesus doesn't mean much to them. He isn't very big to them. Other things and other people are far more important. And that's why we must also act as microscopes and make Christ bigger and magnify him in our bodies, as Paul says. I wonder, is Paul's desire you are to be a Christian? I wonder, can you say with John and John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. Is your desire in your life that Christ would be magnified? That your life would shine before men? Last Lord's Day, we looked at these verses, we considered what Paul said in verse 19. He says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. We noted Paul's confidence in his salvation. We understood that salvation was a past experience, it's a present experience, and it's also a future experience. There's a day in the past that you can look back on, dear child of God, that you remember the Lord Jesus Christ saving you from your sin. And let me challenge you today. Especially you young people who are here. We said this last week and I said it again and I make no apology for it because it's so important. Don't rely on your parents' salvation. Don't rely on the fact that you've been brought up in the church. Don't rely on the fact that you're even brought here every Sunday morning. Let me tell you, you need to have a moment in your life in the past. That you can place your finger on, you remember that you bowed down and you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. And how you went to the cross at Calvary to die for you. For all of us here today, I wonder is there a time that you can look back into the past and you can say it was that day, it was that time, a moment that you know the Lord Jesus Christ saved you from your sin. Salvation, it was a past experience. But also it's a present experience because we're saved on a daily basis as God sanctifies us more and more. And we change more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And one day we'll realize our full salvation in the future when our bodies will be redeemed and we'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. And that's what Paul the Apostle meant when he says, For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. He writes that in Romans 13, verse 11. He speaks about a future day when faith will be turned to sight. Paul made mention of his appreciation of the prayers of the saints of Philippi and through the work and supply of the Spirit of Christ. That's where his confidence came from. He knew God's people were praying for him and he knew the Spirit of God dwelled in him. We didn't just know Paul's confidence last Lord's Day, but we also noted Paul's earnest expectation. Paul's goal, we find that in verse 20, was that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Paul's attitude was that no matter what hardships, pains, trials, discouragements, disappointments, let times that he would have, that he would never turn his back on the Lord Jesus Christ. So on that day, when Paul gives account of the demon at the judgment seat, when he gives account of how he lived for Christ, that he wouldn't be ashamed. That's what he's talking about, that he won't be ashamed. And we challenged our hearts last Lord's day, and we asked the question, is the way that we're living now, with an eye to that future day, and we will give an account for how we live for the Lord Jesus Christ here in our midst. You know, I know as you listen today, maybe some, and you find it hard in the work of the Lord today, maybe it's been tough. And I know at times it can be even God's people who discourage you in the work that you do. But let me tell you, never turn your back on the Lord. And never turn your back on God's work. Maybe today you're discouraged and you're disheartened. Maybe the Lord has allowed some illness or some sickness or a particular trial to come into your life or into your family. In light of that day when you stand and give a kind, keep serving him. Keep serving him. You know, there's a wee hammer that says, by and by when I look in his face. Beautiful face. Thorn shadow face. By and by when I look in his face, I wish I'd given him more. More. So much more. More of my love than I ever gave before. By and by, when I look in his face, I wish I had given him more. How was Paul finding joy in Jesus? Well, his singular goal was to magnify Christ in life and in death. Through the witness of a church in New Jersey in the United States of America, a young man was saved and then later baptized and then he married a few years later, to a dedicated Christian girl. And together, this couple, they went to China and they served Christ in such a way that the whole countryside knew about them. Then came a momentous day on the 8th of December in 1934. When those two young missionaries, John and Betty Sam, John and Betty Sam, were caught by communists and they were cruelly murdered. Before Betty was put to death, she literally watched her own husband beheaded before her eyes. And they turned to her and they asked her, Are you afraid? And she replied, Afraid? Afraid of what? Afraid to do by death what our life couldn't do. She stood and she was beheaded. 
And the two of them were united when they turned away. The manner in which they died did more for the gospel than all of their missionary endeavor when they were there. You see, the last letter that John and Betty Stam sent home, these words were included. It says this, God knows what our end is, but we have decided that by life or death, Christ shall be magnified. It's not with us. We have decided by life or by death, Christ shall be magnified. And that leads us on to our next verse this afternoon. Surely one of the most famous lines that Paul ever penned. Paul writes in verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want you to see Paul's commitment to Christ. Paul's commitment to Christ. Whether in life or in death, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. All he wanted in his life was the Lord Jesus Christ to be magnified. He was fully committed. And all of Paul, all of his life, all that he had was going to be lived for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every piece of energy he had, anything he could do, he would do it for Christ. And Paul, here he was, found in chains, and he was standing there, and his two prison guards chained to him, and yet still he finds his joy, because all that matters to him is that the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted high. Now maybe today you feel that there's chains in your life that are tying you down. <clears throat> Let me ask what trials are robbing you of your joy. And how do you regain joy in those chains? Well we must ask the question, is all that you want in life and death the Lord Jesus Christ? And I can't answer that for you. And you don't need to start thinking about others around you, right? Now, you must answer this question honestly before the Lord. Is all that you want in life, the most important thing in your life, that Christ would be magnified and that Christ would be worshipped by the way you live your life? And also in death, the way you die, is that your desire that Christ would be magnified. Is that all that matters? To the exclusion of all other things, of all other occupations? You know, it wouldn't be a hard thing. I don't believe that attendance to meetings is a thermometer for your spirituality. I don't. But you, because you could be coming along to the meetings and you could be as dead as a dodo. But I'll tell you this. If you're not with God's people when they gather together, regularly, there's something wrong. If you can miss a Sunday evening or a Sunday morning or the meetings, without much thought, it's a sure sign that there's something wrong. The reason why Paul was in this state and attitude and disposition of finding his joy in chains was for him to live and to suffer for Christ meant nothing because he was already dead. Paul had already crucified himself on the cross. Paul had already been crucified. He killed himself because here's what it says. Remember what he says. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it is not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. The reason why Paul could suffer is because he was dead to self. Paul could die. And he could do it because Paul, he was already dead. You see, dear child of God, this afternoon, this is where the rubber hits the road. And if you want the secret to the Christian life, this is it. To know that there are two crosses. 
There's the cross on which the Lord Jesus Christ died and bore your sin, but the other cross on which you must die. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ taught is the cost of becoming a disciple because this is what he says to his disciples in Luke chapter 9 verse 23. He says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Did you pick up your cross this morning? Did you? For Christ says we should pick up our cross daily. Are you following after him with your whole life? The cost of being a disciple of Christ, <coughs> dear child of God, is that you are dead to self. Paul writes in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that you must be a living sacrifice. And these are familiar verses, but what in a sense are you crucified yourself? Do these verses, can they be applied to you? Here's what Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Does that describe you? Did you pick up your cross this morning, did you? When did you leave it behind? Was it the start of this week? A few weeks ago? A few months ago? Dear child of God, we need to be dead to self. But Christ is our all in all. I know you've been to Calvary for the cleansing blood. But that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, have you been crucified to yourself? Because until you get to that position, you'll never suffer with joy. Even death for all, he found joy in it because he knew it would mean he was with Christ. You see, Paul said for death, it was far better. It wasn't a tragedy for him to die. Because I want you not to see Paul's commitment to Christ, but I want you to see Paul's painful predicament. He had a decision to make. David was talking about decisions this morning to the boys and girls. Well, Paul, he had a decision. He had, he was in a predicament. And it wouldn't have been nice if decisions became easier with age. But life isn't like that. And as we get older, the decisions don't get any easier. And the dilemmas are complicated and they sometimes put us between a rock and a hard place. But this is what Paul says in verse 22. He says, But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose, I what not? For I am straight betwixt two, and having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. His dilemma was created because of the reality and glory of Christ to him. He wanted to go and be with Christ, but he knew that Christ still had a task for him to do here on the earth. He knew that Christ still had a job for him to do, and his two options were to remain or to depart. And Paul's first option in his mind was to continue a fruit-bearing life during here. He says, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. If Paul were to be set free from his prison experience, his attitude was that he would go on living for Christ, bearing fruit for his king. To, to, to live on simply meant for him, I think this is lovely, to live on just meant to work more for Jesus. 
to do more for his Savior, to do more for the one who led him on the road to Damascus and saved his precious soul. And all Paul wanted to do was continue serving him and giving his life back to Christ. If Paul remained here, he was going to serve Christ. It meant greater rewards for him in the by and by. By staying Paul, he could help but he could encourage the Philippian believers for their verse 25, fervence and joy of faith. So Paul either was faced with the fruit-bearing life down here, or a far better life up there. Dying would be gain, because it would take him nearer to Christ than anything in, anything in living could do. Even bearing in mind that the Spirit would supply for Paul, the result would be, if he died, that he would be with Christ. And that was far better. And it would come about at the moment of death, he would be translated and he would be face to face with his Saviour. And on this point being with Christ, it's worth briefly to consider Paul's theology of the believer and death. He describes the death of a believer in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 as being at home with the Lord. The believer at death is at home with the Lord. Now we do understand that we're with him now, aren't we? He's promised we're two or three are gathered there am I in the midst of them, so the Lord is here. And he's promised, dear child of God, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So, so he is here by his spirit, he is with you, and he is always with you. Day by day we feel his presence, and even right now we meet in his ear. But this is talking more to be at home of the Lord, more than the relationship that we have with Christ God. But it's fervor, a fervor intimacy that awaits us in glory, which is immeasurably far better than down here. You know, there's times when we're in fellowship with the Lord, and I'm sure you feel it too, when we almost feel that we could reach out and touch the Lord. When we feel, when we know his presence in such a supernatural way, but when he tabernacles with us, and there's times in this life in your Christian walk that you feel that, and you feel his presence, and you feel his power, and it's so tangible. But friends, if that's what it feels like down here, what will it be like back in the sweet by and by? And we're face to face with that. Paul says it's immeasurably far better. The word he actually uses in the Greek is a triple. So he says it's far, far, far better. You could see this giant of the thief. Imagine this prison experience. And all the church is worried about him and they're praying for him. And they think perhaps he's going to be executed. And the church thinks he's going to die. And they don't know what tortures he's going through. And perhaps they're sitting <coughs> in their church and they're chatting together. Or they're sitting in their home by a comfortable fire. And they're saying, poor Paul. Poor Paul. My friend, he didn't see himself as poor. He saw himself as immeasurably rich. If he were to suffer for Christ, for him that was wonderful. If he was to die, well that was gain. And the only thing that was worthy to be compared with being with Christ in heaven for Paul was living for Christ in the earth. And that is the contrast in these verses. I need you to get this this morning. The contrast is not whether he lived or whether he was dead. That was not what Paul was focused on here. The contrast was this. That in living and in dying, for the Christian for Paul, he simply wanted to glorify Christ. 
I'm dying and being with Christ in a closer, more intimate relationship with Christ, but living on meant that he could live for Christ more. John Piper sums up this verse like this. He says, Christ is more valuable than all that life on this earth can give. Can you give it all over to God? Is Christ to you more valuable than all this life can give? Dear brother, dear sister, this morning, Paul chose this, for Paul choice, Paul's choice to stay was that he would serve the church there in Philippi again. For he says that. He said that he would stay. He said in verse 25, having this confidence, I know. I, we don't know how I knew the Lord had confirmed that he would get out of this experience, but he says, I have this confidence. I know that I will abide and continue with you all for your fervence and joy of faith. But no matter what, for Paul, he was giving his life for Christ. And whether life or death, he was going to magnify Christ. Do you want to know what your purpose is here on earth? You need to bow the knee and ask Christ why you're here. Let me say this. Paul knew what his purpose was. It was to magnify Christ. It was to live for Christ. It was for Christ to be central in all his life and to go and meet Christ no more. And dear child of God, if we're saved and we're still here, the Lord has a purpose for you. You know, it was needful for Paul to stay for these Christians. What's, what is God's chosen work for you now? God had a good for Paul to do still. What work has God got for you? What's your reason for staying? You know, I hear people saying, the Lord hasn't called me yet. So I'm sure he has something for me to do. Maybe the Lord's still living for something he called you to do 30 years ago. But you still haven't done. Maybe there's something that the Lord's been telling you to do for a long time and you've been putting it all. I know what it's like. I've been there. I've known the God's call in my life and I've put the places out many times. And yet when God calls you to do something, you ought to do it the first time. You know, the Lord ultimately said to Paul, I can't take you home right now because there's still a work for you to do. Dear child of God, you're sitting here today, and the Lord hasn't taken you home, because he's still got a work for you today. Are you convinced of your purpose in the earth? Here's the next question. Does your Christianity and the way you live and bring progress to others? Look at verse 25. Have I this confidence? I know that I shall abide and continue with you for your fervence and joy of faith. Do you bring joy to other people? Or are you a pain to other people? Are you an encourager or a discourager? I wonder are you a complainer? I wonder if you encourage others to live for Christ in the things you say and the things you do. Third question. Do you cause others joy to a God? Look at verse 26. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. When people think of you, <coughs> when people think of you, does their joy abound for what I do for them in Christ? For what you do for them in Christ? Does their joy abound for what each of us do in Christ? Someone, sometime, even this afternoon in the Lord's presence, as you consider the Lord's working this morning, take a blank piece of paper alone with God and write these words, for me to live is a 
Just draw a blank. And think about your motives, and think about your goals, and think about your desires, and fill in the blank. What would it say? For me to live is money, and to die is to leave it all behind. For me to live is fame, and to die is to be forgotten. For me to live is power, and to die is to lose it all. For me to live is possessions, and to die is to take none of them with me. On one occasion, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was called to appear before Queen Victoria. And amidst her regal surroundings, she inquired and she said, General Booth, what is the secret of your ministry? How is it that others are so powerless and you are so mighty? And Booth looked into the face of the Queen, and with tears streaming down his cheeks, he replied this. He said, Your Majesty, the reason is because God has all there is of William Booth. For the Lord, I need to ask myself today, does God have all there is in Peter Craig? You put your name there. You ask the Lord the question, does God have all there is of you? Paul found his joy in chains because God had all of Paul. Does God have all of you? Can you say from your heart, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? You know, if I were able to take a wee verse and just staple it in on Paul's life and say this is this sums up Paul, I would say it's Jesus all for Jesus. All I am and have and ever hope to be in the second wee verse. All of my ambitions, hopes and plans, I surrender these into your hands.